Hello everybody and welcome back to Blockchain Won't Save the World on Tour. Today we're going to uncover the strange but impressive contradiction that is blockchain in Germany a nation famous for its technology, engineering, and automotive prowess, yet one where its global leadership in blockchain falls far from its stereotypical focus. Germany has a remarkably decentralized landscape when it comes to blockchain, with a beating heart in the cosmopolitan, cypherpunk, and crypto capital of Berlin. There's a lot of innovation on show and some very experienced and pragmatic voices telling us what we have here is good, but we're a long way from achieving our full potential. I think this episode will surprise you in many ways, dispel some of the common misconceptions about Germany and highlight some critical challenges for scaling the use of blockchain in enterprise and government that all nations must learn from. There's a lot crammed into this show, so grab some popcorn, strap in and hit that time and a half button if you're in a hurry. You won't want to miss any of these knowledge bombs that are coming your way. We start with a look at the diverse and decentralized blockchain community in Germany. Your tour guides are Katharina Gera, CEO of Immutable Insight, Florian Glatz, founder of Bundesblock, and Dennis Hillemann, a partner at KPMG Law. So I think we have a representation of the underlying stronger industries. So in Frankfurt, we have a stronger digital asset financial space but particularly in Stuttgart and in Munich, we have a more industrialized focused space also with the big automotive companies being here. Berlin really doesn't have any strong industrial footprint whatsoever besides you know, startups and tech itself. So they really had the freedom to operate in that area to discuss and explore and be crazy uh, because there wasn't a legacy to fight. In Hamburg, we also have a quite interesting scene. By definition, they've always been more logistics, supply chain and transportation minded, but also quite strong on investing. So I think those are the, the broadly speaking different categories. However, having said that, then you will find at first glance maybe awkward, but then striking small little places that embarked on the journey. I mean, uh, Mitweida in Saxony is a small community and a small city and their local bank and their local university and you know their local industry really embarked on the blockchain and cryptocurrency journey and we have Bayreuth and then we have you know all the different technical universities then we have this project called Baden-Württemberg blockchain and then we have a communal blockchain in North Rhine-Westphalia so given that Germany different than France has always been strong decentralized post-World War II really this decentralized blockchain nature is something that is very appealing also to small rural places. So I think one of the intriguing things is there's so many kind of, you know, hidden champions, local inventors, that it's really worth the while to look, you know, left and right. And you'd find, you know, some amazing, but very convinced and very innovative 
structures, even in places you certainly wouldn't expect. There is a strong community in the DeFi area, which originated around the Ethereum project being built there. For example, we had Gavin Wood and Jutta Steiner who split off at some point and create Parity. And from Parity, we saw emerge uh, Polkadot and the Web3 ecosystem. We also have the group around Martin Köppelmann and Friederike Ernst, who have been founding Gnosis together with Stefan Georg also. We also saw the IOTA project in 2017 emerge from Berlin, among other places which really shook up the German industry in a sense, because they were from the beginning targeting the industry 4.0 buzzword ecosystem, you could say, and they were delivering this idea of an ideally suited transaction infrastructure for the IoT ecosystem, which is the underpinning of this industry 4.0 movement. I would also mention the Ocean Protocol, which is all around data markets and monetizing data, which also speaks very much to the German soul, in a sense, because Germany has this, as you know, this history of being divided into West and East Germany. And East Germany in particular has this story of how the state spied on its citizens in a really unethical manner, which really led to the Germans being incredibly privacy aware and really strong on data protection. It was also a German, Jan Albrecht, who proposed the GDPR in the European Parliament. But maybe even more importantly, we have an ecosystem around digital identity, which is really better called self-sovereign identity. And we have some really strong players in that ecosystem that are pushing this both on a technological level, but also on an advocacy and political level, which Actually, this year or end of last year has led to the result that Angela Merkel herself declared digital identity to be an incredibly important strategic topic for Germany to master. And in particular now led to a situation where the chancellor's office has initiated the development of a proof of concept that uses self-sovereign identity to build a digital identity solution for Yeah, all the German citizens and maybe in the future, even all the European citizens, which is primed on this idea of keeping the data with the citizens and creating a decentralized protocol that allows data sharing, but always under the control of the data subject. If we broaden our view and and look at other cities in Germany, we're also really proud of what our colleagues in Frankfurt are doing, which is more targeted around the centralized finance aspect. So enabling big banks, uh, big market infrastructure providers, big corporates to leverage this technology in a more regulated manner. And if we look at more in the south of Germany, Stuttgart and Munich, we have really strong hubs there as well, which are very much trying to work with the German hidden champions, as we call them. So small and medium enterprises that are billion dollar revenue companies with a few hundred employees that you've never heard of but that are producing some piece of machinery that is being bought the world over because it's unmatched in quality. 
And these hubs are trying to bring these players along and try them to help understand the benefits of the technology for them. But also, of course, the big automotive companies that are also situated in the south of Germany, mostly like BMW or Porsche and so on. This all together really makes up the German ecosystem and just shows how diverse it is, but also how much strength it can draw from this diversity. First of all, let me tell you something that's very different about the German blockchain communities from other communities in Germany. Something that's sad about Germans is that they are very reserved, especially from the northern part where I'm from. What I found very fascinating about the blockchain community here in Germany is that it is totally different. It has a totally international flair. The people are very welcoming and very open to talk to. And that was a very new experience for me since I'm working with the federal government because there it's administration folks. And of course, that's serious talks, not saying they're not nice, just a different way. And I find that you have bulky players. You have a very strong base of young entrepreneurs, especially what I find fascinating, also very many female entrepreneurs who work in the blockchain space, very international, very focused on Berlin, which is like the blockchain capital of Germany. And that is a very vivid community that is absolutely driving the technology and the public knowledge about the community. The second base or second group that you have are um, associations. You have different associations in Germany that, of course, have these entrepreneurs in them too, but also have different players in them that try to advertise the technology, especially the Bundesblock, which is an association aimed at technicians, engineers, lawyers, and economists uh, interested in blockchain. It plays a big role. But you've in, in all the cities, in all the major cities, you've also got other associations. In Berlin, Birdchain, for example, founded by Silvan Jungerius. In Hamburg, the Hanseatic Institute for Blockchain. And in Frankfurt, in Munich, there are associations as well. The third community is the scientific community. You have some people working in the science field, especially from the Frankfurt School of Business that is very much focused on it, but also at the Hamburg University of Applied Sciences. And of course, the fourth community is then the big companies, especially the so-called hidden champions. That means companies that are medium-sized, probably about 100 to 300 million euros gross sale per year which offer products or technologies that are sold worldwide and which are developing blockchain solutions as well. So let's get into the use cases. Philip Sandner, professor at the Frankfurt School Blockchain Center, and Sebastian Becker from Riddle & Code show us where the majority of blockchain activity has been in the recent years. We thought that President of China has done this famous speech around blockchain in summer 2019. And then overnight, the Bitcoin price rose by 15% and the entire country was made blockchain ready. That did not happen in Germany. Angela Merkel, our chancellor, also created on behalf of the government a very, very small blockchain strategy. But in comparison to what China did at that point of time, it was important to see that the federal government are recognizing blockchain technology and creating a national blockchain strategy, even though it was a very, very small and tiny strategy. 
that was creating some positive sentiment. But ultimately, you need people to take action. We do not need more people to write papers, proposals, reports and stuff. And here, we luckily saw in Germany that the Ministry of Finance took a quite progressive opinion towards DLT and crypto assets, like a positive opinion. They did not delay it. They did not say, okay, let's do it in a couple of years, but rather let's do it now. And here there was the Ministry of Finance and the German FMA, the BaFin, who basically pushed these developments. And I think what's very beneficial here is that there were a couple of technically very skilled people who really pushed this topic through. Also young people, you know, who were able and capable of understanding DLT easily and so on. And then the Ministry of Finance proposed the custody law, the crypto license one year ago, and now the digital securities. Yeah, so this is what I mean with action. Laws have been proposed. They came and will come into force. And with this, they create a fundament for the industry to then invest, build projects. And this can be opposed to the industrial sector because we so far just spoke of the financial sector where we have multiple subdomains unfolding, yeah, digital euro, digital securities and crypto assets. But in case we talk about the industrial sector, I think Germany is truly well known for machinery and automotive stuff. And in this domain, we do not see much blockchain development. If you talk about Bosch, Daimler, BMW, Siemens and all these companies, they are doing some prototypes here and there. But blockchain is not a very big deal, especially not in case you are comparing it to the financial sector, which is really pushing it. And here you see, I think that guidance on behalf of industrial association, guidance on behalf of the ministry for industry is missing. Then you have some kind of gap, some kind of vacuum, and nobody is then pushing blockchain development. Then you have Corona shifting the priorities, and suddenly blockchain is not yet a big deal in the industry. A lot has to do with Germany being an industrialized country, of course, with quite a booming economy, at least in the past couple of decades. But we are not the financial hotspot of Europe. So even though some of the leading blockchain applications here in Germany as well are coming from the financial space, namely the activities of the traditional regional stock exchange of Börse Stuttgart, and they are both B2C and B2B applications. So we have seen securitization of existing financial assets by Bitbond and others. Commerzbank and, and other banks have played a role in driving this ecosystem. But of course, we have the car industry, we have the machinery and tooling industry, we have the chemical industries. All of those have done various tests, research, and a lot of work in the blockchain space. But depending on the industry and depending on the state of regulation, you know, the speed of adoption is, of course, um, differing. We've seen many things, uh, supply chain, track and trace, BMW and others, uh, Port of Hamburg. There are some good examples here. We've seen new applications of blockchain in the mobility space. For example, what Daimler has been doing around the car wallet, where we have also been involved as Riddle and Code. We are seeing lots of activities in the energy sector. DENA, the German energy agency, is currently running a couple of projects to advance the German government's blockchain strategy namely with a registry, a blockchain-based registry for energy-producing assets. So there's really a, a broad range of blockchain-based use cases and, and projects. There are some real standout projects that have been homegrown in Germany, but that are relevant in almost any country. We go deeper with Philipp Richard from DINA, the German energy agency, Harry Behrens, head of the Daimler Mobility Blockchain Factory, and Christoph Ivaniets, CFO of Bitvala, 
into their achievements in technology development and ecosystem building. If you look at both worlds, a decentralized nature of blockchain fits very, very well to the approach of a deeply penetrated decentralized energy architecture of renewables in the future. And the blockchain features of complete transparency and immutability, I guess, make it very interesting for a critical infrastructure like the energy system, where the security of the whole system always has been a major concern. So take, for example, the electricity supply and the fear of power outages. A new potential digital infrastructure system for the energy sector would itself have to be a very, very secure system itself in the future. And you could, in theory, imagine that the use of blockchain in all kinds of use cases in the energy sector, equal if we are talking about asset management, energy trading, billing of fees, switching suppliers, certificates of origin, and so on, is very, very interesting. At the same time, when people started talking about blockchain in the energy sector, what was actually missing was a clear overview of all possible use cases. Not only the technical view, but also the economic and the regulatory context. And of course, also potential limitations. I guess you cannot benchmark a technology without taking into account if the regular system will accept this technology. This was missing in the beginning and also the reason for us at DINA that we decided back in 19 to set up our DINA blockchain study. You can also call it the blockchain Bible for the energy sector because we analyzed 11 different use cases and graded them along those three dimensions. What the study also made clear was that after this theoretical overview, it is very, very important to put things into action more and more and establish a new generation of pilot projects. So projects that were built on a strong theoretical background, especially when it comes to regulatory limitations, but also were not afraid to think big and to think what could actually impact the energy sector as a whole. We identified after our study, the register function of the blockchain technology as one central USP for the energy sector and also quickly realized what one of the biggest obstacles on our way to a fully digital energy system actually is. So if we want a system in which machines or renewable power plants, storage devices, etc., will be able to communicate and interact with one another, we must first be able to identify them in a secure and a reliable way. We think that is the closing bridge between the analog and the digital system, so to say. Today, these devices have to be put in a register where they receive an idea to be able of being part of the system and participate in certain markets. And this still happens here in Germany manually in a way. And in addition to that, many non-typical energy devices like smart home devices are excluded from participation in the markets where they hopefully one day could provide flexibility for the system as well. So in order to solve these problems, we have initiated the pilot project blockchain machine identity ledger where we are working 
with automatically created decentralized IDs for each device, which are then automatically stored in a blockchain-based infrastructure. And this, in our belief, is the base infrastructure for a digital energy system of the future. We started this project 10 months ago with up to 20 partners. There are startups involved, the Energy Web Foundation, Parity, Sferity, but also big utilities like ENBW and grid operators as well. So really, really an interesting group who are collaborating since 10 months and talking about digital limitations and challenges and the market limitations from the energy perspective. That is, I guess, a very, very interesting project. Also for us at Dina, quite tough and complex because we are just in the management function. We have to bring together all these parties. They have to collaborate. They have to talk. And they are not like a startup all sitting in one room for one or two years. They are threaded across Germany. So it's not easy to manage this project, but I guess that is what we need to face and that is what we need to do at Diener to support an energy system highly penetrated by digital infrastructure. Privately, from a technical angle, I started working with blockchain since roughly 2012. Within the company, I started pitching it end of 2016. And finally, by 2018, the board gave me the mandate to precisely set up and then lead what's now the Daimler Mobility Blockchain Factory. The basic mandate that we were given is based on the analysis that here we have a very disruptive technology and disruptive in the sense it's not evolutionary, but it basically reinvents more or less things from the ground up. And it is definitely addressing markets and industries that we as in Daimler Financial Services, as we used to be called then, and now Daimler Mobility, it's also going to change and disrupt the industries we are in. And one of the main benefits, if you look at blockchain, you always don't bring blockchain into anything just because it's a cool technology, right? And one of the things where blockchain is a good candidate to be applied is if you have a fragmented market. So you have a lot of players, they would like to do business with each other, and they do not run the same infrastructure, the same systems, or the same accounting. And if you look at the mobility market, especially urban mobility, it's a very highly fragmented market. So the service from the customer should be one click gets you all mobility for Dublin, London, Berlin. But in fact, what the matter is you have 20, 30 individual operators. Each one has their own vertical infrastructure, each one giving you their own app. So it's a very fragmented market. And fragmentation in a market is very neatly addressed if you remember what blockchain distributed ledger is all about, meaning it's decentralized. So there's probably bang for the buck to be had here. So we applied the know-how that we had built up. We applied the requirements that are needed to do this in a real world corporation where we are audited, we are paying tax, we have legal obligations to know our customers. So it's not a free for all crypto play, but it's a hybrid of that. And therefore we built what we now call the Daimler Mobility blockchain platform in order to build a transaction layer, a cooperative co-owned transaction layer by which players in urban mobility market can couple their services, bundle their services, integrate their services, and sell them through their own respective sales channels. We're working with one very highly placed technical supplier. We are working with two further companies who are involved in scoring, rating, and providing identifiers 
for companies. And last but not least, that's the one we went public with already. We're working with the Börse Stuttgart. So the Stuttgart Stock Exchange on an angle where it comes to what's called security token offerings. On the technology side and on the input side on designing such a thing, we've been working with a total of six venture companies, starting with 51 nodes, Helix ID, Riddle and Code, Sferity, Evan Network, and last but not least, Ontology. And each one of these, basically, they bring in their know-how and we learn from them. And on the other side, we provide to them insight into how what I would like to call the real world or call it corporate market works. So they get to design their technology so it fits and meshes with real world business processes. And we basically learn from those that make a living out of their focused technological offerings. So we get the best of the breed. It is not advisable in my humble opinion to go to any kind of company that offers you all out of one hand because the technology is now developing so sharply. You want to work with people that specialize on one thing that do that best and then combine the offerings. So in total, you really build something that is best of breed in all its major aspects. And the way we're collaborating with our corporate partners is we basically offer them access to the platform. There is no strings attached. We're not asking them for money. It's basically a closed source community where they provide their respective capabilities, which we believe are necessary to make that platform valuable. And we provide the platform software, which allows them to build whatever they bring in. And then as we move forward, we hope at some point in the not too far future to go to the market with those partners. Bitwala is quite early introduced in the blockchain environment. The founders have a long history being in the Berlin Bitcoin ecosystem, have deep roots there. And Bitwala was around since 2016, 17 operationally. You could do something. There was a product and there was in Germany very, very few services around that, especially from a fintech startup environment. So Bitwala actually has roots in how to make Bitcoin spendable. So in the early days, people had Bitcoin, but you couldn't really do anything with it. The founders of Bitwala actually come from internet payment services. So how can I pay with Bitcoin, like goods on the internet, etc. And then Bitwala moved into a payment card to basically tackle this payment problem even more. And Bitwala was one of two, three services worldwide, which had a payment card, a prepaid debit card, in which you could spend your Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. That was our early first product around 16, 17. Then we basically enhanced the, the, the product in 2018 and went live with a new product end of 2018, which is the world's first crypto bank account. We are solving the problem that you cannot just go to your bank account in Germany. That would be whatever Deutsche Bank account, Commerce Bank account. And the same account, you can basically make your bank transfers, you pay your rent, you invest into your shares. You cannot use that bank account to buy cryptocurrencies or sell them, right? So there's always this hurdle. You have to use a second service. You have to send money to an exchange. You have to transfer it somewhere else. It stays on its way until it's usable again. Or the other way around, if you want to sell crypto and use your money, it stays until you have them spendable on your account. And Bitwala is solving exactly that problem. It's one bank account in which you can pay your rent, you can go to the ATM with our card, you have your money always spendable, 
But if you want to buy, if the, the market is dipping, you don't have to send your money to two days somewhere and then the dip is gone. You can directly buy or the other way around. You need urgently cash and you want to keep it as long as possible in crypto. You can do that. Sell it in an hour later, you go to the ATM and withdraw money. So we bring these two worlds in one account very close together. Nearly all of my guests point to the impact that proactive regulation has had on the adoption of blockchain and crypto assets in Germany. But it's not all good news. We hear from Dr. Sven Hildebrand, CEO of DLC, Nina Ziedler, partner at the law firm DWF and a board member of Inatbar, and Bruce Pon, founder of Ocean Protocol, and some thoughts on EU regulation again from Harry Berens. I think what Germany did very, very early on, I think that was in 2013, they regulated Bitcoin as a unit of account. And then Germany was and still is the only European country where you actually need to have a license in order to store crypto assets for a third party. And Germans being known as very picky and very ruly on everything, they were kind of pushing forward in this space in order to bring some order. I don't know if that was the outcome that the legislation wished for, but actually this attracted like every exchange out there, every custodian out there, because when you're looking further down the road, everybody knows that there are interesting regulations coming like Mika for the whole European continent. And so the assumption is, and this is the right assumption, that if you're already registered in Germany for being a crypto custodian, which basically every exchange in the world is, if it gets regulated on a European basis, it is very easy to transfer from the German license to the European license. And then having the German license, you can passport the whole license through Europe, which makes Germany like a, a, a hotspot <laughs> for crypto. Currently, we're in a phase where you can truly still influence things. And that was quite impressive to me to see in, in 2018 when we released what we back then called the token regulation paper, that it has actually been picked up by the regulators. Yeah, and, and the legal interpretation that we proposed had been acknowledged and accepted and used as a basis for going forward. So, this is something for everyone who really wants to be heard and wants to make a difference. Step up now, join one or the other initiative, and we can still shape our digital future together. And I think that's really exceptional and exciting in this space. And I'm sure that does not only apply to Germany, but when you, for example, look at the membership base of INATBA, then you will find that there is a very strong, large part of, of German members, I think around maybe up to 20% or something. So you can tell that the German community is really well organized. It's well connected and it's quite easy to form groups for initiatives and do something together. So that's, I think, special and, and very valuable about our local community. Blockchain has a special place in Europe, particularly on the development side, because to develop the technology, it's kind of a team sport. And Europe, of all the regions on Earth, has been practicing playing well together for the last 30 to 40 years with the inception of the common European economic area 
And I think that that DNA has allowed Europe to nurture a lot of blockchain startups, not just in Berlin, but also in Germany and the rest. In France, there's a vibrant community. Now you have Portugal having a very vibrant community. So Spain is now on board as well. This type of dynamic is made possible because people do feel quite safe. They don't really need to worry about, once again, the regulation and the taxation laws are pretty straightforward. Germany particularly is tax friendly for crypto because it's like any other investment product that if you hold for at least one year, the gains are non-taxable. So that is probably for a developed country in the center of Europe with a sizable population One of the best incentives for people to be in Germany is that they know that if they build the product here, not only is it safe for them to build, they're not going to have to worry about going to jail or paying large fines. That will allow more and more talent to come to Germany and a different ecosystem that will arise. I don't know if I would ever ask to be regulated and to ask to go through the pain. That's quite masochistic, to be honest. It's an interesting perspective. I've never thought about that way. We went through the list of jurisdictions from various perspectives, tax, legal risk, securities, all the different ways that you could think of. We had about 20 different criteria. We had on our list Germany, Switzerland, Gibraltar, Estonia. Uh, we had also Singapore, Hong Kong, the U.S., a couple of the offshore countries, etc. We had a different framing also. We had a partner in Singapore who had connections to the Singapore government. In a sense, because Singapore was giving the most at that time, clarity with regards to regulations on crypto, et cetera. Plus, we had a partner in Singapore. We chose Singapore to establish the Ocean Protocol Foundation. And that, in my mind, was the right decision because we were able to then leverage the connections there to get some initial traction. We had regulatory certainty, which to this day is still there. That hasn't gone away. And so we've been able to just do business. Ideally, regulations and taxes and stuff, that should be stuff that's as clear as possible so that people can do the right thing. It's easy to do the right thing, but you, you shouldn't need to be thinking about it all the time. So it wasn't easy. It was painful as heck, but I would never ask for the hardest path to be regulated because then you know you get some sort of badge of saying, yeah, we took the hardest path possible. We tried to take the easiest path possible, but compliant, transparent, and suited to our business so that we could focus on what we need to, which is the product and the core technology. Unfortunately, there is one very big sector of regulation that's not on the German level, but on the European level, which is not well suited to the decentralized approaches that blockchains take. And that sector is antitrust regulation, which is meant to keep big companies in check and prevent them from achieving market dominance. The way this is applied, it practically speaking, it basically prohibits competitors to speak to each other. I'm simplifying and I'm not a lawyer, but the fact of the matter is that what boils down to. But if you think about if you were to build a decentralized platform for whatever market you are aiming at, then obviously such a decentralized platform would need to be used by companies that are competitors to each other. So in order to build it, you obviously need to communicate. And in fact, you need to collaborate. The current regime of how antitrust is applied and even more how the fear of how antitrust is applied is perceived makes it impossible to have these kind of conversations. This prevents valuable collaboration to happen and this results in delays and delays result directly in loss of opportunity, which is directly loss of profit. 
So I'm very concerned about, especially for big corporations, that they will not be able to participate in this unless there's a new way of addressing antitrust regulation with an eye on, there is something new on the block now that is decentralized or cooperative technology. We need to cater to that and we cannot just blindly stop competitors from speaking to each other in the name of antitrust. So I see this as a very practical problem. You hardly see it discussed, but if you talk to any big corporation that was going into the direction of decentralized platforms and decentralized ecosystems, they will confirm this. Clearly, the German government has had a significant part to play in Germany's blockchain story so far. More on this from Thomas Jasenbeck from the German Ministry of Economic Affairs and Energy, Dennis Hillemann and Philipp Santner, who also look at the wider role of the European Union and the prospect of a digital euro. Yeah, we have several roles as government. Uh, one is to enable scientific work here with all our scientific organizations. On the other side, we have a regulatory role. Many people, when you ask them about blockchain, the first thing they say is Bitcoin. So currency is the elephant in the room, obviously. And if you're on the currency side, then regulation is a key question, but also privacy. And in the end, and I believe this is the most important part of it, the adoption of distributed ledger technologies in the government by itself. And I think we have to be some kind of lead user and it's necessary to get competencies all over the administration. So every single person in this administration needs to understand what blockchain is and how it works and how it could be implemented in their daily business to make their life easier. There are 44 measures to be exact that you cannot say so the strategy has a core of one, two, three things. So it's a very broad strategy and the results or the reception by, by many actors here in, in Germany and also in Europe is positive as far as I see. There are a lot of digital topics which lead to controversy. But when it comes to blockchain, what I see also when I look at the parliament, no matter if you're looking at left or right side there on the parliament, there is a lot of positive reaction when it comes to blockchain. There is not that single one project where we say, so that's it, that's our signature project. I believe we are successful if we can implement this in a wide range of fields. And that's what we are trying to achieve. And also to make it easier in terms of regulation, for instance, one further measure is that we make a roundtable for blockchain and privacy. I think this is also a very relevant question because Germans love privacy and, and Europeans too. And therefore, it's a really mission critical thing to find out your best practice. So these are some of these 44 measures. And I believe if we can implement only half of them, we are pretty successful and we have a lot of working applications and then we can scale up. The European way is that we, we more prefer smaller companies, more competition, more diversity. And therefore, blockchain, we believe, is a huge opportunity for us to present an alternative model to the platform economy from Silicon Valley. In the larger member states, you have a lot of budget so that you can implement things by yourself. And what I see is that especially the smaller member states 
are more looking for the EU programs to scale up the things that they're, they're doing. And um, there is a permanent dialogue on the EU level. A lot of decisions are being made by the EU Council, and that consists out of all these member states, these 27 member states and their governments. So I'm personally here and there a part of these EU meetings there where we describe for others what's going on in the national strategies. And then we also look, so how can we form out European strategies out of that? European Union has uh, budgets uh, to implement things. And uh, so often we also see a development that some of the member states start with, let's say, minimum viable product to implement something. And afterwards, we can scale that up to a European level and also other member states can implement that even if it's not a European program. The EU has 27 states which are pretty free and do uh, what they like to do in, in terms of fostering industrial technologies or other things. And everybody's looking at the others, what they are doing. And if you see good movements, it's clear that you want to implement that too. And there, again, is pretty good dialogue on that and we get good support from other countries and we deliver them support too. One thing that I always advertise is that our government has a blockchain strategy published in September 2019. And I personally always say this is a big thing. And many people in the blockchain community rolled their eyes a little bit because it's so technical, it's so political sounding. But it is an acknowledgement that blockchain is a technology of the future. It even says that after the internet, blockchain could be the next mind-blowing technology and changing the economy. It especially talks about different use cases of blockchain that the federal government of Germany thinks will have a big impact in the future. For example, supply chain solutions or tokenization projects. And what everyone has to understand is if the federal government puts out such a strategy, it means that the federal ministries and the administrations have to follow it, make money available for blockchain projects within the federal administration. So basically, that means that we have a political and financial yes to blockchain. Germany is very EU-friendly, as we are all aware. That means Germany would never create a political strategy or a regulation that would not be compliant with EU law or EU strategies. At times, it seems to me that Germany could push blockchain even further if they had power to regulate certain topics, especially concerning the decentralized financial sector. Of course, some of these regulations or some of these competences are with the EU now and not with Germany. Other countries push much more forward, even European countries like Malta, and they start regulating away. And I think sometimes they're asking later if that's compliant with EU law. Germany is different there. The EU seems to me a little hesitant. Um, they always underline that they must be technology neutral, which I understand. We are all aware of that blockchain has a political impact as well, be it, for example, with uh, decentralized solutions as well, which is very contrary to the central approach that we have on so many levels, be it education, be it administration. And uh, the second, of course, being cryptocurrencies and tokenization as business solutions, models, whatever you want to call it, that could disrupt the power of governments over value and money. We also, of course, had a problem that EU GDPR and blockchain 
were very much averse to each other. VU GDPR has the idea of a central server or a central storage system that holds all the data and that could change or erase all the data later. And we all know that blockchain is totally different from that. About the digital euro, I think this topic is gaining momentum because in Germany we see that it might be a very interesting aspect for industrial companies, you know, like machinery companies, automotive sensor companies, mobility companies, logistics companies who could streamline their business processes once the euro is on a blockchain system. This is now increasingly being understood. And again, the establishment and the institutions are also pushing the topic once again, Ministry of Finance and the German Central Bank. But we have to have one clear point here in mind. The digital euro can be created by the European Central Bank issuing the euro that would be called CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currency. But the digital euro could also be issued by commercial banks. And I would argue that the digital euro, which will be needed by the industry, needs to be issued by the private sector, needs to be issued by commercial banks. Yeah, so something like... Libra or Diem, but in a regulated way created by existing commercial banks. This would be needed, and I think it would be very beneficial for the industrial sector as a whole. This needs to be opposed to the discussion with the European Central Bank. The way the ECB is discussing this is not very helpful, because what the ECB proposes and discusses is exactly not the digital Europe, which would be demanded by the industry. So what the ECB is doing is, in my personal opinion, going in the wrong direction and even more so at a very, very slow speed. The Chinese central bank, they have started to investigate the digital version of their Chinese currency four, five, six years ago. And they are now in a status where they have basically finished developing their system. And they are now experimenting with the system in a couple of cities with dozens of millions of people to do test transactions. So they are live, it's finished coding, and they are testing it and they are ramping it up to become a new form of an infrastructure for the Chinese currency. And the ECB, to compare this, is not even doing developing yet, but they are rather in the mode of finding an opinion whether they like the topic or whether they dislike the topic. And what about the unsung heroes of the blockchain community? The lawyers. I've said for a long time that blockchain needs more lawyers to help us work through the crunchiest of transformation challenges. Florian, Nina, and Dennis help us to explain why. What you can say for sure is that Germany has a long tradition in law. The German civil code, which entered into force on 1st of January 1900, is one of the best export products of the country. Many countries all over the world adopted parts of our legal system because they are coherent systems of rules that just make a lot of sense and have very little loose ends and that have a lot of court decisions surrounding them, giving very concrete interpretations of what certain clauses in the law mean. And building on this tradition, Germany has a very proud legacy in legal scholarship and obviously also in lawyers who tend actually to publish scientifically throughout their career as well in order to continue to build this resource and make it even better. So it's not that surprising from that perspective that I think Germany has a number of prominent blockchain lawyers. I would say until a few years ago, the main function of a blockchain lawyer 
was the ability to translate between techies and lawyers and regulators. So being this bridge that enables all these parties with all these different understandings and perspectives to come together in a constructive fashion in order to solve the problem at hand. I would say since a few years where really the first pieces of legislation have come about that regulate blockchain-specific industries, blockchain-specific use cases, there's a new form of blockchain lawyers, which are much more deeply rooted in the legal field than in the technology, but who have a very deep understanding of specific regulations that pertain to blockchain. And this is in particular in the field of capital markets, where due to first the emergence of ICOs, now more DeFi, but also more and more CeFi, so centralized finance, like security token issuances, they are required to do the really tough work of formulating, let's say, a prospectus for a public offering or who are needed to formulate concrete regulation that speaks purely in the language of the law, not in the language of technology, because law always needs to stay neutral when it comes to technology. Blockchain is a team sport. You don't solve blockchain questions only by asking coders, right? Coders are setting the starting point. They are inventing the digital structure that they are building. But a living network solving a real-world problem needs to take into account many more views. And one of those is legal. You know, another one is tax, accounting. Then there are social aspects when you talk about the right incentive schemes. In order to get a blockchain network right, you need all of those competencies together yeah, unfortunately, we, we lawyers need to ensure that whatever you do is actually legally compliant, that it's accepted by the law. For example, a famous problem, everybody is talking about tokenizing real world assets. Well, that's an issue because the right in any given asset out there is already ruled by the law, right? And it's, you know, you, you can transfer the ownership in your car in existing ways and you can add a token alongside, but you can currently not ensure that the ownership doesn't separate from that token. So all of these dreams about tokenizing ownership will be dreams and will not become reality if the law is not adopted accordingly. I think there is a lot of translation needed between coders, the economics of such a network and the legal reality. And the issue is that typically there is limited budget for that. So a lot of us lawyers are working in a lot of association on a pro bono basis, but projects should take into account that they will have more cost than just for the coding. If you want to make good laws, you need lawyers who understand blockchain. And if you have lawyers understanding blockchain, then the laws get better. And if the laws get better, the blockchain community and the companies can get easier access to the technology. While lawyers are, of course, not the key players, everything that is developed in blockchain doesn't come from us. They can have a big impact on how easy it is to implement blockchain solutions and to push a technology forward. One of the blockchain lawyers in Germany that I really like, he's a very interesting young man is David Safe, and he has created the term of compliant programming, which I really like, and I always say I'll steal it because it's so good. Because he says 
lawyers and developers should work together. It shouldn't be that first the developer creates something and then the lawyer says, hey, it looks cool, but it's absolutely not legal. We can't put it out. That just creates frustration and a lot of money and time is wasted. If we want to create good software, then it should be programmed in a compliant way from the beginning. I personally think that's a very cool approach, and that means that the lawyer working with a developer should understand the technology. And I think that works for any technology, but especially also for blockchain. A final thought now on the role that academia plays in nurturing blockchain talent and contributing to critical research projects. Wolfgang Prinz from the Fraunhofer Institute for Applied Information Technologies and Philipp Sandner tell us more about the academic landscape in Germany today. At the beginning, there wasn't much academia who was really looking into the area of blockchain. So when we started our blockchain lab at Fraunhofer, we were among the first. And then suddenly a lot of other institutes at universities and also in other large research organizations, they suddenly popped up. And I think when we look at Germany, I think we have a lot of different very interesting research going on in the underlying technologies of blockchain. So it's security, consensus algorithms, decentralized computing, and things like that. So I think Germany is on one hand very, very strong to this respect. Then on the other hand, we have academia in the area of application-oriented use of blockchain. Well, this is what we are doing at Fraunhofer and at other institutes where we try to make blockchain understandable and also easy to use for industry. When you talk to industry about blockchain, what you hear is ah, Bitcoin, energy consumption, very complex. We need computing centers. I think academia also needs to develop very simple ways to apply blockchain test bets that make it easier for industry to see the benefit of the technology and to develop prototypes and to see that you really can do within a few months, in a few weeks, you can develop applications that make use of, of blockchain itself. And then we have other research in Germany that is investigating into the benefits, the economical effects of blockchain, and trying to explain better how you can support business processes using blockchain. So in general, I think the role of academia in Germany is that you have to do the basics. Yeah? So they develop the protocols further to make blockchain applicable for more application areas. And on the other hand, to leverage blockchain to a level so that the industry can use it in a very easy way, not asking how much effort is it really to go on blockchain and it's very complicated. They just should see it as just a technology that is ready to use. So nowadays we have a community that is looking into credentials from universities, schools, and other things. And here the, the idea really is, is that although we have different approaches, we try to work together to form some kind of standard or to have an interoperable approach between the different solutions that different startups have developed. The next thing is also we have large funded projects and initiatives in the area of self-sovereign identity, decentralized identity, and things like that. I think that's also something that is quite interesting. And also in Germany, we now have companies, startups, the Even Network, Gaf Digital, that try to build up blockchain infrastructures that can be used either by governments or that can be used by companies to make the adoption very easy. We have Hochschule mit Weida, that's in, in the eastern part of Germany. They are really doing an excellent job. I would expect them to have five, six, seven professors just for DLT stuff. 
then Technical University of Munich. They are building good expertise, especially from the tech side. Then in HAW Hamburg is good for IoT stuff and Technical University of Darmstadt for IT security and DLT stuff. So you have good expertise and some clusters here and there. But don't forget, we have 400 universities or applied universities in Germany. And in case I would have to estimate the number of lecturers or researchers, then maybe there are 15 good ones and maybe 20 to 25 moderately good people out there, right? That's not enough. We would have to have 100, 200, 300, 400 experts such that education and research would be happening at higher speed. We've covered a lot of ground here and shout to you if you've made it this far. Germany still has further to go before you could consider blockchain to be a mature and established technology. Katarina, Sebastian and Bruce, tell us what more is needed to enable wider adoption. I'm maybe a bit more critical on the German perspective than you are, and that may be in itself inherently German. So I do acknowledge that. But I almost feel like we're not doing enough. I see what's happening in Asia, particularly in China. I see what happens in Thailand, in South Korea. I see what happens in the States. And there's one thing that I would think is one of the biggest breaks that the blockchain community right now um, has that slows it down, and that's the access to capital. Now, traditionally, in the overall German investment logic, particularly also of you know, big family offices, and in Germany, it's about protecting your wealth as if that even would be a thing. And it's about security. And, you know, I think Germans are still known globally for their savings approach and for, you know, how much uh, life insurances they buy and, and how strong they believe in government bonds. Now, I think in a world that is inherently changing in dynamic, that perceived security is really your false friend and it's a trap. But there is no tradition of venture capitalism. There is no real tradition of entrepreneurial, I've exited a startup and now I reinvest. There is some of that in Berlin, but the sheer number and aggregate number of capital that goes into startups is significantly lower, not only in Germany, but also in other European countries. And here, really, the fragmentation of Europe um, is, to my understanding, an actual barrier for blockchain startups to scale here. Having said that, um, I also don't think the state should be trapping in. I think that's really one where we'll need to find a common ground between you know, startups being more focused on the actual short-term gains and not just only the long-term vision, and also corporates taking one step away from their quarterly earnings um, and into a more medium-term future and then making some substantial investment decisions. Everybody at the board level in mean, all of the German companies need to understand that blockchain is here to stay. The bounce back of, of cryptocurrencies, I think, will help here because people see that the first industry, the financial industry, has now really embraced it. Regulation is underway. So seeing is believing, I, I think, here. Apart from that, there's still the need for more thought through coherent innovation strategies across the board. You know, if you look at the automotive industry, 
Of course, not only Corona has hit them, there were problems before. And all of this has led to a lack of adoption of the pilot projects that have been done in the German automotive industries, but also, you know, in, at the international scale, because, you know, the boards are busy with other things. Right now, I think the German car industry has declared again to develop an operating system to compete with everything that comes from the West Coast. Personally, not being an IT person, I think that's the wrong way. There would be cleverer ways to collaborate on the infrastructure level and then to compete on the service levels. But given the recent history in, in that industry, antitrust is a big issue. And if you don't really understand blockchain 360 degrees, you maybe cannot expect from a board to really place their bets solely on a what they might perceive still as a buzzword. Looking at, at Bosch, who, in my opinion, have been a leader in the German space, putting together teams and budgets early on. You know, after two or three years of working, they are now, I don't want to say looking for shelter, but everything is geared towards Gaia-X, which is also a very important project. Many other companies are working on digital identities because that's something you can do and is seen as a meaningful component without a big coherent strategy. But, you know, basically looking at digital identities or DIDs, it all boils down to secure key management. So what Germany might need is really more leading IoT concept and a leading concept for machinery and mobility, because ID concepts, I think, will rather be developed at the European level. This also means, of course, a very high tolerance for experimentation. There's a certain amount of risk or reputational risk that you're being associated with this technology at times. But make no mistake, the people who are working in Berlin, for the most part, 95% of the people I've met are very serious technology people. They have the right kind of moral direction, and they're building some technology that's going to be sustainable in the long term. So that would be my encouragement for people who are listening from Germany, who are in a position of power, to support the local startups, to really invest the time and the energy to get to know the technology, because it could also help save your business. Thanks again for listening to the Blockchain Won't Save the World podcast. As always, opinions in this episode are mine and those of my guests alone. If you want to find out more, please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Check out some of the other episodes on the Blockchain Won't Save the World podcast and check out the YouTube channel also called Blockchain Won't Save the World. Stay safe out there. Blockchain will empower the backends. And I think that's a strength of the German market that we understand and some even love our backends. Organizing that in a more efficient way is something I think that is very attractive for the German soul.